Welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Loop on the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in the Loop on the Third franchise in, uh, mostly, chronological order. This is our weekly reaction series to Part 6, Tea Time. And uh, with us today, we have a very special guest. You may know him from the YouTube channel of the same name, Aficionados Chris. Welcome, Chris. Hey. Special might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I am glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And for those of you who don't know already, um, I've already talked to um, Chris about this and that episode's coming out real soon, but Chris is currently working on a book about Lupin the Third, a sort of companion Mm -hmm. guide to the franchise, um, release date next year, right? 2022? That is the plan. Uh, Okay. Just finished up uh, the review for Fuma Conspiracy yesterday. So we're now at five reviews of something like 58. So just keep keep on trucking. <laughs> you, you got this, bro. You got this. I do. I do. I, I, I'm trying to study myself because obviously 50 years now, 50 years as a, as a anime franchise, so there's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of things mm-hmm. to look at, many of which that aren't even in our uh, country of origin at this point. And that it's been quite a challenge, but it's been fun. And I've been focusing right now on some of the smaller things because I feel, well, if I get these ones out of the way, then I can worry about the bigger ones a bit later. Yeah. So that, that seems to have worked out. It's kind mm-hmm. of jumping all over the place, like, a couple of weeks ago, I finished Monkatsu's review, so that was interesting. Nice. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, interesting would be the word to, de- to describe Monkatsu, especially since it kind of barely counts. But if it's not in there, all I'll ever hear is, "Why wasn't that in your book?" Fine, I'll put it in the book, even though it kind of only just barely, you know, amounts to to it. I mean. I mean, to be fair, Lupin the Gang show up in every single episode, so... They do. They appear in every single one, and hell, Lupin even, like, has a cameo appearance in one of yes. the, one of the shorts where, where he gets hijacked. A great joke, but outside of, like, the Lupin Gang shorts, which, you know, bookend the whole show, they are also in the Mankatsu Monkey, like, bridge segments. Right. And honestly, I don't even know why they're there. They kind of serve no purpose in those shorts they're just kind of there <laughs> so yeah welcome chris to the show <laughs> and i guess Thank you. <laughs> who are we drew uh well that's uh it's <laughs> a good question Boy, this, is, this is getting real deep real fast <laughs> asking those big philosophical questions like green versus red oh oh dear lord <laughs> No, 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 we'll be here all day when you bring up green versus red, okay? That's next on the list to review. Oh, oh shit. Boy. Oh, boy. I, I will say sometimes before I write a review, I have a very good, like, thing to say about it, but no, like, meat to the statement. But I'll write that down. Like, I could use that. Which was, uh, I realized the biggest problem with green versus red is how friggin' convoluted it is as a plot. Mm-hmm. And I wrote something like a plot so convoluted, Terrence Malick would be confused. 
And I st- I stand by that because I have seen Green versus Red three times, and I still don't quite know what's going on. <laughs> oh boy. Uh. I've That's watched it stoned. One. I've watched it sober. I've watched it drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> all, all the all the substances that could probably <laughs> help it don't do it justice. Nope. <laughs> I mean, Print I mean, that on the back of your Blu-ray for Green vs. <laughs> <laughs> Disco Tech, are you listening? You are going to re-release that eventually. <laughs> I was going to say, you could probably, probably write a whole book about Green versus Red alone. No, no, no. It would not. It'd be like this big. <laughs> like, no, most of it is just you writing, why? Why? I get that reference. What's with the why? mech? Why are they building a mech? That never goes anywhere. It's just a thing that two Lupons are doing for some reason. Honestly, I kind of, we could kind of put with, we could kind of put on a disclaimer on Green versus Red, kind of like Dead Dove, Do Not Eat. <laughs> like you know, like, yeah, like I, don't know I, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> I expected an anniversary special to not suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's fair because the bar is set so high with episode zero, the first contact, and it's never been topped since. No, never. which kind of segues into part six because that's the latest kind of anniversary celebration. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and that's what we are talking about. But before we do, oh, yeah. We gotta introduce ourselves. Before we do, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess I'm Drew. I suppose I am one of two Chris's. <laughs> this won't be confusing at all. <laughs> uh, I still, I still say we should dub this episode the Battle of the Chris's, but that's a little too mean. Because <laughs> uh, so, so it is green versus red. <laughs> <laughs> <The> <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling Red Shack. It he gets green because he's the original. <laughs> that makes sense. Honestly, I dig it. I don't know. Uh, you, seem, you seem like a pleasant fellow. I would hate to fight you. <laughs> and on that note, I'm I'm yeah. Natalie. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I never I never know these days. <laughs> but on the subject of Green Jacket, uh, today we are covering episode eight of part six. Episode eight, right? I've kind of lost track at this point. Episode zero kind of yes, threw me yes, off. Yes, episode eight. <laughs> so it's episode we are eight. on episode eight. <laughs> yeah, Technic- technically episode seven, but it is episode eight. Yeah. So it's um, uh, last bullet, and uh, to kick off to kick off our uh, roundtable impressions of it, um, Red Jacket Chris. What did you feel about this week's episode? <laughs> you know that's what? good. I'll, that is good. I like that. that. You know what? That's the best way to separate this. I'm, I'm glad I threw that in the ring. Mm-hmm. Red jacket, Chris. And even better, because I wear red in my videos. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, Last Bullet, really good. Probably one of the best episodes of the season, season series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one of the best of, of part six so far. Because uh, I haven't liked Okay, I can't say I haven't liked. I haven't loved part six. I've been sorely disappointed with a lot of it because I think like a lot of people, when you advertise, and I know you can obviously go, oh, that's marketing. You can always blame marketing. Mm -hmm. Although 
I don't know the difference between American marketing and Japanese marketing. I feel like American marketing is more malicious than most Japanese typically, but I, I don't know. I, I don't live there, so I can't speak for their culture and how that works. But when you advertise your anniversary series, that it's going to be Sherlock Holmes and Lupin the third duking it out. That sounds awesome. Because we all know, because Arsene Lupin, you know, the character that our favorite monkey is based upon, is basically the French equivalent to Sherlock Holmes. So it's the perfect setting and already kind of writes itself, or at least sometimes I wish it did. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of writes itself how awesome an idea that is. And I think the biggest problem I've had with part six is the structure of it. Because I do not hate a lot of episodes, but I do dislike how they've been structuring the order of them. Because I didn't love part five. I don't hate it, but part five lost me with the last two episodes. I, I stand by that that very forced redemption arc with Enzo, oh. Enzo I think his name was. Yeah, no, just no. You don't get a redemption arc. Yeah. Guy. Like, no. And with that and with that aside the greatest thing about part five was that they knew how to pace the show and when to put in the one-off episodes because they did the bigger overarching story in like chapters. So episode mm -hmm. one, episode two, and so on. This one has not really been great with that structure where we've had like three one-offs in a row before we went right back to the story that everyone wants to be watching. And even that's kind of not been great. I didn't like the last episode besides the Zenigata disservice. Aside from that, I was like, it's, it's good, but maybe those last three episodes burned me out. We're like, well, now I'm not really as invested with this. Now I'm just kind of, because eh. this would have been better if you had, you know, the Hemingway episode and then went back to it. I think people would be a little less mad <laughs> with it. <laughs> Because I thought the show episode was intriguing, but because it was a two parts, like, can't you put this a little later? I, I don't see when this is all finished, we'll probably know, but I don't see how this is going to work, structurally speaking. This needs to be rearranged at some point, if not a fan edit. But this episode is fantastic. The pacing is some of the best that this series has had so far. So, like, because uh, we do screenings in my server every Sunday where we watch this, and a lot of us even noted, you know, once the uh, the eye catches came up, we're like, we're halfway through already. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, because the pacing's actually good this time. Yeah, it doesn't feel like we've sat here for forty minutes. It feels like we've sat here <laughs> for fifteen. So it, it it felt better, and you know, uh, Akio Otsuka, you know, has had in this one has a much better uh, time to shine. For Jigen, because as we all know, uh, Kiyoshi Kobayashi recently retired from his long-standing position as the voice of Jigen for since 1969, with Ooh. the exception of Fuma Conspiracy, been playing Jigen for quite a long time. Kind of like Frank Welker playing Fred still <laughs> in Scooby-Doo, <laughs> yeah. which also started in 1969. Give, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you believe that? And. It's just good. Nothing. I I don't have any complaints with this episode. It it was really well done. Uh, even the twist 
which uh, you know I won't spoil here. But even the twist I thought they pulled off really well too, because they've been doing a lot of twist reveals in this show too lately. And some like some of them are like, oh come on. <laughs> Especially the the Showa one. That one was offensively bad. I will mm-hmm. argue. And to <sighs> certain people, uh, the, the the Sherlock Holmes being Zenigata thing wasn't wasn't a great reveal either. <laughs> so, but you know that's that's another crowd that I'm only kind of have my toes dipped in because I love Zenigata. I don't love him like some other people. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. <laughs> don't worry I'll, I'll make sure everything's all good later you just made poor Drews I think oh, I'm sorry. It came out of his nose that was, that was for Lauren <laughs> oh, that was worth it yeah. Yeah. you okay uh, Drew I'm perfectly fine <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to to hog it up too much, but uh, great episode, Akio proving you know. I think Drew, you were the one that called that, didn't you? Uh, for for Akio taking over. Yes, back back in 2017, I think it was. It was either 2017 or 2018. I just just tweeted just for the fun of it, like you know, it would be really fun if whenever Kyoshi Kobayashi retires, that Akio Otsuka take up the mantle because I feel like he's like the one. The one actor I could, who I could perfectly how, see taking the role. How over the moon were you when they announced that? Like, what? oh my god, I'm Nostradamus. Say farewell to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I kind of lost it because I was sitting with my girlfriend. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And I just searched Twitter. And this was after the news of Kiyoshi Kobayashi retiring had, had, had come out. Right. Now I saw this tweet that I used a Google Translate on that said um uh, I forgot it, it mistranslated Akio to something else, but I saw Otsuka as Jigen. I was like, no, no. And then I just searched more, and then eventually uh, the tweet from the official Part Six account had the picture of Akio Otsuka and Jigen, and I jumped yeah. off of the couch I was sitting on <laughs> just in complete yeah, I shock. I was actually watching the. Uh... <laughs> I think it was the NTV or whatever like Japanese network had basically revealed that information because I was watching it on a Japanese live stream. And I'm like, wait, I know that face because I don't know what they're saying, but I know that face. Is that Akio Otsuka? Like Solid Snake? (laughs) Because if it is, that's a great choice. Like I, 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 I can't think of anyone, you know, more fit to take over that character. Oh, totally. And, you know, it is something that at this point, like, uh, we do have to sort of prepare ourselves for is that a lot of these actors and just crew members, they are getting old. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a day where Yuji Ono just can't compose the music anymore. Oh, I don't want to think yeah, about either that. Either he but retires, I... which I would rather he retires first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hey, it would also be poetic if he died still doing it. Like, you know, that's going to be his life's work. And I think that's a great life's work to have is mm-hmm. that, you know, having basically invented the sound of Lupin mm-hmm. starting in part two. I mean, I, I mentioned this when Guillaume and I did the review of the first that like any, like so many, like so many other artists would be like, 
you know, I can't stick to doing one thing forever. I need to move on. I need to like be creative and spread my wings and not just be subjected to do just one thing. But Yuji Ono. I love that you give him that, that very valley voice. <laughs> <laughs> which, just, which is just extra condescending. Continue. <laughs> no. I do that for a lot of things. That in my way oh, is for <laughs> condescending things. But going back to Yuji Ono, um, the fact that he remains doing to this day a lot of Lupin soundtracks with the exception of part one and Fuma Conspiracy. Yeah, to this day still doing it, not really caring about like doing other because he has done other things. Um, I know my my friend Maria told me and I could be wrong because I I'm probably misconstruing her words, but she told me that like he did Evangelion, I believe. No. Yes, maybe. No, I don't think he's. In fact, it's sitting right next to me. I don't think that he did Evangelion. I need to. She told me that he did another anime soundtrack and I can't remember what it was, but he has was done other stuff. Huh? Was it Cobra? Probably. Space Adventure uh, Cobra? Yeah, Cobra, he did the opening and closing songs for. Um, and he did the score yeah, to I, Captain Future. Sense. I don't know that one, but I like that name. (laughs) Well, either way, like the fact that he still remains doing Lupin to this day and still continuing is, you know, without still reinventing the sound and still reinventing it, like still doing it, not really caring about spreading his wing. I mean, he has spread his wings as an artist, but to just stay in one spot with Lupin, Mm -hmm. like, thank you for that, because I can't imagine any other person doing a Lupin soundtrack, which is why I always make this joke, but I'll still say it like if. I get my dream of a Lupin the Third Broadway musical. I'll be okay with it, <laughs> provided Yuji Ono does the music. If he doesn't do the music, I'm not going to throw my or money at it. Or at the it. very least, some kind of like understudy. Because at this point, Yuji does have to prepare for the inevitable. Someone has to take the mantle. Oh, I don't want to think about that, but you're right. <laughs> I, we, we, all, we all have to at some point. It, it, it's hmm. 50 years now. 50 yeah. years of this franchise as someone who's writing a book do you know how hard it is to try and get comment from people from a franchise that's over a half a century old most of them are dead retired or just don't want to talk <laughs> hard <laughs> hard and sad <laughs> yep why did i agree to this anyway <laughs> uh, so natalie how did you feel about this week's episode well i actually I actually, you know, I watched it twice. I watched it at work during my lunch break, and and it felt like my lunch break went fast because pacing. And I and I did watch it the second time with uh, with Red Jacket Chris's stream on his server on Discord. And yeah, I remember that comment actually, where someone said, "Huh, we're already at the halfway mark. Uh, that was fast." Yeah, because the pacing was actually very well done, and that is correct. This is probably probably aside from the. F- the one of the filler episodes that I really enjoyed, the train one. This one was actually I did enjoy a lot. I love Jigen. I love all of them, but I do really love Jigen, and I love that we get you know his own episode. Um, Akio Otsuka really was able to shine, and I I will admit, like I kind of teared up a little bit the first time I watched it because it kind of made me miss Kiyoshi Kobayashi because it's like I started notice a distinct the distinct difference between Kobayashi and Otsuka, but it didn't upset me like, oh no, I, I want Kobayashi back. No, it made me happy. It made me elated. And I was like, he is fitting the role 
so well. And oh my goodness, I love it. Also, uh, the villain, man, Jigen has more evil exes than Ramona Flowers. <laughs> Jigen versus Mickey Rourke. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I remember saying, I remember saying in, in, in Red Jacket Chris's um, group yesterday, I'm like, why does he look like a WWE wrestler? And then <laughs> first we called him Ric Flair. And then it was like, no, he looks like Mickey Rourke. I'm like, yeah, he looks like Mickey Rourke. <laughs> she with the whole, he's Brad Rourke. It's like, yep. did, they, did they name him after Mickey Rourke? Like, that's not a coincidence. No. <laughs> it can't be a coincidence. And also, of course, <laughs> um, Kenny. <laughs> His yeah, name is you, Kenny. You snickering at the name Kenny. <laughs> I watch way I too I much South Park. Of, like the Japanese voice actors probably just think that's a very funny name to say they because they had they had a, a weird emphasis on it. Because it is a weird funny name to say. I don't care if your name is Kenny. Oh, is. I'm sorry, it Kenny's is. of the world. Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. I guess <laughs> my inner Cartman comes out, and I'm just like Kenny. <laughs> no one wants an inner Cartman. <laughs> no, not that kind of inner Cartman. But <laughs> but um. Overall, wonderfully done episode. I also like before I finish before I, you know, pass it on to Green Jacket Chris. I also did like um how accurate the locations were because like I've never been to Scotland. I've always wanted to go, but I remember um I actually showed the clip to my ex-boyfriend who's who's lived in Scotland and he's like, "Yeah, I've been to that museum, the Scottish um National Museum where all the art was, you know, where they tried to attempt to kidnap um Lily the first time um yeah he looked at it and he's like wow the attention to detail was just yeah spot on <laughs> sometimes they don't get <laughs> yeah this is true so uh green jacket chris how'd you feel <laughs> how'd you feel about this week's episode i'm not sure how i feel about being green jacket christian and part two is my favorite but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right yeah i uh i really liked the episode as well I mean, it's not my favorite Jigen episode by a long shot. Eh, shot. But uh, <laughs> I, I still, yeah, I, I still really liked it. Um, I feel like, okay, so for those of you listening, Drew has titled this, the room that we're in, the one where Jigen launches his gun into a dude, holy shit, that was cool. <laughs> Which, I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with this, with this statement, <laughs> with this title at all. <laughs> it's it's so beautifully ridiculous. Absolutely, and you know, I feel like I feel like this franchise needs more of that lately. It reminded yes. me a lot of the, <laughs> of the uh, of the climax of Dead or Alive when uh, when Lupin puts that uh, gun into the crack and throws one of General Headhunter's blades at it, firing it into General Headhunter's you know forehead, killing him. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. So yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know what I could say that hasn't been said already. We interrupt this review for an important message. Chris Godby wants you all to know that he is very happy this episode got Jigen's hairline right. That is all. Back to the review. I mean, I, I thought that, you know, uh, Kenny's crush on... Uh, Lily was adorable. And also, this is probably one of the first anime I've seen where the 14-year-olds actually look like 14-year-olds. 
Yeah. Well, actually, she was 11. That's a good point. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been watching a lot of uh, Yu Yu Hakusho lately. So, you know, you know, in that series, the 14, like, I love it. The 14 year olds are seven feet tall. It's, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so are the adults in this show. They're like eight feet tall. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, ninety percent of them are legs. Lupin <laughs> called himself Daddy Long Legs. Daddy Long Legs. <laughs> yeah, that had a mixed response. I get the literary <laughs> reference, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, don't use Daddy when talking about yourself in 2021. <laughs> well, okay, okay, look, we all know that Gene wasn't going to wasn't going to call himself that. Of course I mean, not. Yeah. Jacob has some dignity. Lupin's <laughs> a horny little rat. Well, I mean, well, I mean, you know, he told uh, Conan Edagawa not to call him daddy, which, yeah. wow, that sounds really bad out of context. It doesn't sound much better in context. Anyway, hmm. <laughs> I also like the, uh, I also like the whole discussion about the portrait of Dorian Gray. Not quite sure how it ties in, but I'm still digging all the literary allusions in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I, I admit I was like half asleep when I watched this, but I really liked it. I just, <laughs> I'm just having a little bit of difficulty uh, articulating what I, mean, I you liked feel like about you're it. half asleep just talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought I had more to say, but you guys have already covered most of my points. So, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. What, Drew, what have we not covered or have covered? Well, for me this week, I was kind of like um, uh, I was kind of like Al Pacino in The Godfather Three. You know, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> which, which I, I, I'm honestly happy. Like, like Chris mentioned, it's not my favorite Jigen episode, and not even my favorite Jigen episode recently. Like with Part Four, he had with the gun in my hand, which is one of my favorite episodes of Lupin, just in general. Well, yeah, excellent choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, indeed. But with this episode, I, I really enjoyed the pacing of it. It, it. it avoided the pitfalls of the last episode, which I mentioned in our last review. It wasn't people sitting around talking about things that are cool. It actually showed things that are cool. And like the story actually progressed. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just Exposition City. Like, like I appreciate how it like jumped from place to place to place. Um, <clears throat> Akio Otsuka, as you've already mentioned, is such a wonderful Jigen from like that opening scene in the gun shop with him alone. Like tell me if this makes any sense. It's like just, he, he captures kind of like the melancholy of Jigen. If that makes any sense. No, I would agree. Yeah. Like the, the, the whole thing with him at the gun shop and he's got this old gun that's clearly worn out. And the, even the shop owner is like, hey, let's get you a new Glock. And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, this is my part. I'm good. It was, it was, it was such a sweet episode. Which I'm pretty sure, like, one could interpret that as metaphorical of Akio, you know, uh, taking over mm-hmm. from Kiyoshi uh, Kobayashi, which I, I've thought about as we've been discussing. Is like, I feel like that might have been a slight uh, send off in a, in a, like in a sense because Episode Zero was a fantastic like last hurrah mm-hmm. for Kobayashi san, but. Just some of the wording, especially with the way to describe it, and you know, kissing the gun before it shoots off into Brad Rourke's chest. <laughs> just, just some of that language, like that's Akio, like you know, accepting the 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 torch passing in my eyes. Yeah. Oh no, totally. And I'm um, I'm I'm glad you mentioned 
Brad Rourke because one thing that again <clears throat> I'm always a sucker for the uh, the evil mysterious partner slash ex from Jigen's past. Once you pull that card, like I'm, I'm always here for it. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And I also enjoyed it because this means that now, much like Lupin in uh, episode zero, Giga now has a uh, mysterious Brad from his past. (laughs) (laughs) Could have been worse. It could have been a Kevin or a Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Except for this, Brad did not get the emotional death scene after we met him, you know, after just a mere five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. On that note, I did like Brad from First Contact. I thought he he was a good refrigerated character, but I I did like him. (laughs) Isn't it troubling that we now have to differentiate two episode zeros? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you can't can't say episode zero anymore. It's like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean part six, episode zero, or the first contact? And in my head, I'm like, I always mean the first contact. I don't, I'm not going to single out episode zero unless I say part six, episode zero Mm -hmm. though on that note um because for me my experience with first contact was a friend of mine man i I need to contact her i haven't contacted her in years but for my quinceanera she as her gift she lives in um in illinois no not illinois missouri she she burned me a copy of her of her copy of um first contact and i knew i always knew it was called episode zero but i never called it episode zero because she wrote on the dvd first contact so for me, it's right. I've always just called it first contact, never called it episode zero. But yeah, now you're I mean, for me, it makes it easier to differentiate between episode zero that Kobayashi send off in part six to episode zero first contact. So because I mean, episode zero, the first contact is one of the top five best Lupin pieces of media, honestly. Agreed. That one's getting a glowing review. Let me let me tell you that much. <laughs> ah, I have a lot to say about episode zero. A lot of it positive. <laughs> yeah, episode zero is um, it's amazing. I I come mm-hmm. back. It's my mo- emotional support Lupin special. Like I feel like I come back to that. No, really. Like I feel like, especially when for me it was a gift. From my coming of age ceremony from a good friend. It it has a lot of sentimental value to me in the franchise, but also, you know, I have a bad day. It's either one of two movies I pop in, Harold and Maude or Mm -hmm. First Contact. And they're they're, they're two vastly different movies, (laughs) but they they make me warm and fuzzy inside. And I love it. (laughs) At this point, the first has become my my comfort Lupin film for for a while and i'm very happy that it's that one because that one's just fantastic with how they pulled a lot of that stuff off oh yeah um but real quick going back to the to the current episode we're talking about (laughs) um Mm. (laughs) you know talking about the literary references um og chris um we were you know i was thinking about that (laughs) yeah um i was thinking about that like what does um oscar wilde's um picture of dorian gray have to do with the episode itself and honestly it it really doesn't it's it is one of my favorite gothic novels it is one of my favorite oscar wilde stories but it's one of those that creeped me out when i first read it especially in context of what it's about It, it shows you know the moral of it shows the ugliness of humanity that no matter how beautiful you may be on the outside, on the inside, you, you may be like a 
piece of shit person. Um, and it is a peculiar entity for Oscar Wilde. Um, it's like that and one of his plays that really showcased um, some of his inner demons and also some of the things that he was working with before he got arrested for homosexuality, which, yes, was a crime in, I think, I think, I think he got arrested in England or Ireland. I can't remember. But yeah, at the core of it is like, why mention this and why mention Daddy Longlegs, which is not a detective novel, not that I can recall. <laughs> um, like, I've never read the, who was the author of it? Webster? Um, Jane Webster, I believe. Yeah. And, and to this day, you know, I could have looked into this before we reviewed it, especially with how literature heavy this, se- this season is. My only question remains is like, por qué? Why add these? <laughs> Especially yeah. for an episode where Jigen is basically fighting one of his evil exes again. <laughs> I think it's trying to build up to. So I forgot who said it. It might have been Tabby Wolf, uh, but someone made a interesting point that Part Six might be better when it's all done and bingeable. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it might, but I don't know by how much. <laughs> because yeah, again, so far I've just I've just been kind of burned out lately because it feels like why am i looking forward to these because they haven't they've kind of lost their steam already mm-hmm. and we're not even halfway through <laughs> yeah on that note my least favorite aspect of this episode and it wasn't anything huge was the connection to the overall or the overarching sherlock stuff like the raven is mentioned so offhandedly just kind of like, remember the Raven? That's that's still a thing, even though in the last episode we mentioned Professor Moriarty is more bad than the Raven. But the Raven, you need to be worried, like you need to be worried about them in this episode. It's just kind of like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. When, when this episode ended and we saw the preview for the next for next week's episode, I'm more excited for that one off than I am to see how this Sherlock versus the Raven versus Moriarty versus Lestrade. I don't know because mm-hmm. that the, they also. I don't know. It's also because uh, Guillaume mentioned it in the last episode, but like, I guess he seems kind of suspicious at this point. I, I, I don't know. It's it's like um, uh, Red Jacket Chris mentioned earlier. I I was okay at first with the uh, the one-offs being where they were because there was some plot justification. You know, Sherlock and Lupin faced off. Lupin ran out of town. I thought it was going to be like maybe two or three one-offs, not. Four, one of them being a two-parter that kind of drug out and that that really it did the same thing that one issue i have with part five specifically the last arc is the fact that they piled four one-offs before the final arc which that final arc should have been at least two more episodes to actually play out because when that yeah. arc starts it hits the ground running and then completely collapses by the time the last two episodes hits and i feel like part six have almost kind of done that in the beginning i'm i'm hoping it can recover in these remaining episodes before you know the break and we go into whatever the second half is going to be but at this point i can't say i care too much about the raven plot i i, I was more here for the jigen shenanigans and watching jigen and his evil ex face off in some kind of mountain range which is apparently very fitting because the screenwriter of this episode is um I had a little thing here is um uh Akio Higuchi who is known for writing 
mountain novels. And I was wondering, like, what's mountain novels? And if you look at his uh, his resume on the Japanese Wikipedia, it's a lot of adventure books with uh, the words climb and mountain in many of the titles. So he is I, I get it. He's a mountain novel writer. He writes novel writes novels about mountains, which made sense given the you know the finale kind of taking place and it kind of left civilization kind of went into like this rocky like almost like mountainous kind of not wasteland but you know just kind of this barren. Um, uh, it's called Morris, honey. Up oh, there we go. I, 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 as you can tell, I I'm not good with words. So I think you, you raised <laughs> that point about how it's called the Morris. This episode is just. <laughs> the, oh, don't it's, okay. It's if why you, it's it, going to have Natalie because <laughs> she's the book, like she's the literary expert, uh, literary historical, and sadly, I know this because of a serial killer. Uh, real quick, um, mm-hmm. um, Ian Bradley and Myra Henley, who were famous serial killers. There's actually a song by the Smiths about them called um, "Suffer Little Children." They committed most of their crimes. They murdered kids and they committed most of their crimes in the moors of um, Manchester in England. But yeah, those kind of like grassy moss lands that that can be very rocky in Great Britain. They're called the moors. Don't really think there's a lot of mountains in them. But yeah, it's like, yeah, they're called moors, darling. (laughs) (laughs) We learned something today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Miss Natalie. You're welcome. <laughs> Can we go to lunch now? <laughs> they the bell hey, It's very. Like, <laughs> it's six o'clock in the evening. The, uh, but yeah, you, you know, uh, Drew, I thought brought up a good point with the whole, you know, because he's kind of lost interest to, in a sense, to the Raven plot, where it's like, well, you know, the Jigen, the G, the Jigen ex, ex, ex campaign was fun. And it feels more like the self-contained episodic stuff that a lot of Lupin series used to be known for. Because I don't have a problem with them adapting and doing like more overarching stuff if it's done well. Because like part four is the prime example of an overarching story that's done very well. Amen. Oh, part yes. five is you kind of got it and then you lost it. <laughs> part six has been, I don't know what the f- you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you kind of have one, and then you're giving up, and then you're kind of going back. I, I, I don't know. And you know, as much as I can appreciate the uh, literary homages throughout Part Six, you know, because it does set it apart from a lot of other series that they've done. Mm-hmm. Though I do think that hinders a lot of its appeal to an extent, because even though obviously literature owes a lot. To Lupin because you know the character is based on a famous you know, literature character, and you know as we know, Kanto-san or Monkey Punch was a big bookworm. One of his favorite mm-hmm. books was The Three Musketeers, so it, it does you know make some sense that they would do a series that pays tribute to a lot of classic literature. Though my argument has been, well, yeah. But a lot of us aren't here to do extra homework, especially if <laughs> even if you've read a lot of books, you're not going to know a lot of these things. Like, you you know, just because you've read an Ernest Hemingway no- novel does not necessarily mean you you are also familiar with Oscar Wilde. You can, but it is not guaranteed, let alone if you're also a viewer of an anime <laughs> called Lupin the Third. It's not a, it's not a big guarantee that you are getting a lot of these you know, touches and nods that they're doing. So it, it feels kind of niche. And I think 
oh, it's sort very of degrades niche. its overall appeal. Yeah, but but that is my overall point. Is like I'm I'm here for the fun heist gang, not. I'm not here for book club <laughs> sort of <laughs> sort of thing. Because you know what? I'm I'd be perfectly okay with being in a book club, but I'm not here for that. I'm here to watch my favorite thieves be a bunch of wise asses, pull some heist, you know, trick Zenigata, Fujiko being hot and 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 confident, you know, Lupin being smarmy, Jigen being cool. Like the list goes on. But a lot of that's been, is that a reference? To, thankfully, Natalie's been there for some of them because she'll be like, oh, da, 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 da. like, oh, OK, cool, because I'm not going to get it first try, but mm-hmm. she's going to know it like immediately once the, the subtitle comes up, like, oh, that's a reference to uh, this novel uh, by this author that was written in this time. Good. I am glad you are here for this because <laughs> it does make doing it a little easier. To, it's like having a little pop-up trivia thing like, did you know? <laughs> Which is not the ideal way to watch a show or a movie. I agree. But it, yeah, but th- I think that hinders it a bit. Like, I don't think it's a like, obviously among among Part Six's issues, it's definitely lower on the list. But it, to me, it's like, it's an issue that should be raised. And I, I know I keep mentioning, but I have to because I'm working on it. But it's definitely something I'm bringing up in the book of, yeah, there's a lot of heavy literature reference that unless you're like a really knowledgeable bookworm, you know, like Natalie, <laughs> it's kind of going to go over your head. And that's not to say that you are, you know, uneducated, obviously. You mm-hmm. know, not everyone has read all these books. That That yeah. does not dictate you know your patchwork of knowledge but it i think it does kind of trivialize the viewing experience for this particular show and kind of will alienate a lot of people well i think part of i think part of the issue with this episode in particular is that up to this point all, all the literary references have been to uh mystery and crime stories mm-hmm. whereas the portrait of dorian gray not so much you know, like if they were, you know, staying within the crime and uh, detective genre, that'd be okay. I mean, you know, I, that would continue the theme, but oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, but trying to connect it to the portrait of Dorian Gray, which I guess they weren't really trying to, but <laughs> just seems like an odd thing to bring up. It really no. is. <laughs> it would have made it would have made more sense if they used something within the detective or the detective or even the heist genre of yeah. um, of literature. Like they could have easily, like I don't know. There's so many. There's so many different detective novels out there in the world, particularly you know in in Western literature that they could have talked about in her class that would have made twenty times more sense than Oscar Wilde. Um, but they didn't. They went towards the gothic novel route. And I mean, what are they trying to say here? Are they trying to say that Rourke is basically? like dorian gray like you know he thinks he's cool on the outside but on the inside he's a real piece of shit or like like and, and that's the thing about part six you I know mean, you, you might be onto something maybe or, but or or the connection could be between a you know jigen and his magnum you know jigen and his revolver maybe 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 the gun is the portrait and jigen is dorian gray or maybe i'm talking out of my ass who knows i don't <laughs> We all we all could be, you know, but that's what that's what these kinds of shows are for. Talking <laughs> out your ass and hoping someone listens. Interestingly enough, with the with the Magnum, like 
And here's another insider knowledge about myself. My dad, as much of a hippie as he was in the 60s, my dad for like a short time was a, was a, was a member of the NRA. And he used to take me out trap shooting as a kid. So I learned how to like shoot rifles. I learned how to shoot pistols. And I learned a lot of, I found it fascinating, especially as I got into James Bond and Lupin III, just a lot of gun history. Um, like I, I love I love Winchester. I love classic Winchesters. I love Smith and Wessons. Glocks are pretty cool, but obviously my um, my personal view about guns are very different now. But you know, when they mentioned, I don't think they make these. I don't think they make this model anymore. I don't think they make these parts for this model anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure Smith and Wesson still makes the um, .357 to this day because there's a lot of idiots. Not going to mention where. There's a lot of idiots in the world who think they're dirty, hairy, and can shoot. A gun with that much fucking power and it's like no honey no put the gun away no <laughs> but um so yeah when i saw that i'm like no they still make the 357 what the fuck are you talking about and it's then, for dramatic emphasis don't think about it too hard <laughs> i know but it's just like it, as someone who yeah. knows about guns it kind of bothers me <laughs> now i sound like an american <laughs> you know you <laughs> You know, you mentioned the um, uh, what the significance of the uh, the portrait of Dorian Gray and Daddy Longlegs have to do with this. I, I, I'm almost curious if, like, this is just me just speculating for the fun of it. it. Almost feels like the writers were writing this episode and were like, "Oh yeah, shit, wait, this whole series is about literature. Uh, what's on the shelf? What's on the shelf? <laughs> portrait of Dorian Gray." What's I would there? I would honestly not be surprised <laughs> if if that was all they did. <laughs> so, what's over there, uh, Daddy Longlegs? Are you sure that's worth it? Don't worry about it. We got a deadline. Move, move. <laughs> just, just, just put it on there. Lupin's got long legs, right? Okay, good. Alias, there. <laughs> well, speculating it now, next episode's going to be about pirates. So what? We're, we're, we're going to reach out for Robert Louis Stevenson and read Tre- Treasure Island? Or I kind of hey, want to joke that, that. <laughs> I, I love Treasure Island. Muppet, Muppet Treasure Island thing. is a good adaptation, as, as is, I know a lot of people don't like it, but as is Treasure Planet. I personally like it. However... Oh, I love both those films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, however, it's like, it's either that or I can make a joke that next episode is basically going to be Lupin meets the Goonies. <laughs> Which I'm also not against. Oh, I mean... <laughs> the Goonies is a very Lupin story and you know it. L- Lupin and Pirates, I'm already in love. Just don't mess it up. Because yes. I really like that idea of accommodation. And I've stopped disappointing me with part six because I like because you promised me really cool ideas and then you, <laughs> you just squander them. Very. I mean, at least Lupin and Pirates makes more sense than Lupin and Dorian Gray and Daddy Longlegs. At least like, you know, yeah. pirates. Well, yes. Still, they yes. still shit, you know? We can believe Lupin <laughs> on a pirate ship. A hundred percent. It's been done and already. Fujiko in a bikini. It's also been done, but we never get tired of it. No, no, like no, it was done. It was done in the manga. It was done in part. It, then they adapted that manga episode into par- in part two. You know which one I'm talking about, Chris? Right? The um part, part three, I think. Okay, Telepathy the one with signal. the invisible captain. Oh, God, that one. Uh, it's been so long. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't think I've seen that part two episode, but I, I know which manga chapter you're talking about. Boy, that one was weird. I love. I actually love that one. The captain's a woman. I swear. <laughs> um, but there was also a flashback to something pirate related on a fucking blimp in part five, which yeah, I thought was, cool. was 
Yeah, I thought that was adorable. <laughs> FYI, I mean, it, it was. Ah, uh, who needs context? <laughs> context is for squares. But, but actually, you I know, know that shot you're talking about from part five because I think that was animated by a guy who worked on Captain Harlock. So, really, bit of a Ooh. bit of a nod there. Yeah, nice. if if I am not mistaken, because I was looking into uh, certain animators who who have worked on those, and I was like, oh. The guy worked on Captain Harlick. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> why? Why would have a little bit of a pirate pirate thing going on there? Which you know, also, also the whole thing kind of reminded me of the uh, opening to Italian Game, where we just get a whole bunch of scenes from without any context whatsoever, and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Um. But yeah, going back to like the real quick, just the literature thing and and Lupin, and you're right. Um. Um, you're right, Red Jacket Chris, about like how we don't want to make it feel like a book club. Like if you want a book club, yep. that's fine. Go join a book club. But you don't really, you don't really, obviously you don't really want it in something you're, you know, in another entity that you're watching. But I think I've always mentioned this. The aspects that I loved about Lupin is the references that they can make, whether it is to literature or other nods to pop culture i mean there's there's like a part two episode that was a nod to a british sci-fi show from the early 70s and my favorite episodes have always been the ones where they um where they derived it off plays and operas like talking about jigan episodes again the um you know um shot through the heart episode is my favorite because it's carmen or women call fujiko mine vice del arte is basically phantom of the opera and to a minor extent tosca but again if you don't get the references that's fine will it influence you to check out the references maybe but after a while it does get kind of just kind of lose its momentum and it does kind of lose its focus and then it does feel yeah. like a little bit of a I hate to say this. It feels like an intelligence contest almost like, and this is, and this is coming from someone who was teased for her intelligence. I was called the walking encyclopedia in high school and people thought it was a compliment for, but for me it was like, no, no, I don't, I don't like knowing everything. <laughs> My mom thought it was a compliment, but I looked at her like, it, it doesn't feel like one. <laughs> and, and fair enough. And it excludes, it excludes a certain type of viewer. I feel and I think that's why, again, why a lot of people just have a lot of mixed feelings with part six, because they can't resonate with a certain piece of media because they've never they've never looked into it or never read it. And it does mm -hmm. make them feel it does make them feel like they're not included. So, well, because, yeah, it, it I assume it was actually good that you brought up because I know we've talked about before how a lot of episodes of, of past series do adapt to the average viewer relatively obscure things like operas and, and plays mm -hmm. and other literature, though credit where credit's due. I feel like not only is that paced better in those shows, it's not required to know that it's based upon those things to en enjoy the story being told. I will mm -hmm. argue. Whereas in part six, I, I think a lot of us agree. There is a level of, well, if you're not in the know, that's going to get lost on you. Cause what is the significance of this? Why are we mentioning that? Like, you know, we've been talking about the Dorian Gray thing. Even none of us really know why that's even brought up. It seems to have no significance so far. But who knows? Maybe later it'll pay off as, like, Chekhov's Dorian Gray or something. <laughs> but, you know, it... But, yeah, that I think that that is a problem so far with Part 6. It, it, 
it's felt like <laughs> to to pull out something I remember is uh, I used to watch a, a video reviewer called Spoonie, and I remember he had this bit when talking about I think it was Final Fantasy thirteen. You know, funny using a Japanese piece of media where a lot of the story is not told within the actual medium. It's in like the liner notes within the game that you have to read to understand what's going on. And he, he goes on a rant and basically says, have you ever watched any piece of media, be it film or television, where you have to constantly pause, go and look on Wikipedia to read whatever the hell is going on? Aside from Doom. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it does feel like that sometimes. Like, what are they talking about? Like, mm-hmm. I know what these things are, but I don't understand the context nor why they're even do- doing it. Because, like, the Ernest Hemingway thing, I didn't think was a bad episode. Although, my issue with it was, this is kind of long in the tooth with where they're going with it. And it doesn't have a good payoff. Like, what's the payoff? Fujiko's bad at cooking. <laughs> like, that's that's the that's the whole payoff for for the Ernest. And I, I love Mamoru Oshii. I, I'm not saying it's a bad joke, but it's like through all of that, that's the payoff. It, eh, it it didn't work. I don't hate it as much as other people, but I I will agree that it's not very good, especially with what was more it, you know to follow up you know, the cliffhanger of Lupin skipping, you know, skipping town, essentially. Not the best one-off to start with. Honestly, I think if they went with the uh, two-parter, the Showa one, I think people would be a little less angry because that one's more interesting and still kind of sort of fits in with the tone that's going on because the Ernest Hemingway one is just so tonally different from the rest of the series so far that it's jarring, it feels out of place, and honestly is better suited as an OVA, in my opinion. I don't, until we see how this, because, you know, we're all, you know, speaking, the whole show's not even done. We don't know how these things pay off, if they do. But just from what we know so far, it doesn't fit. And if it has no significance, why even bother having it in the show? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I see where you guys are coming from, but... Personally, uh, the literary theme doesn't bother me too much, especially because if you go back to the very first chapter of Monkey Punch's original manga, it was pretty much a crossover between Arsene Lupin, Heiji Zenigata, and uh, Kogoro Akechi. Yep. You know, so you know that's been there from the very from the very beginning, and uh, honestly, it's like the whole thing with Gold Mask. That didn't bother me too much because, you know. You know, spoiler alert, it is an Arsene Lupin story. Thanks, Amazon, for spoiling it for me. But, um, you still better. I am. I was really looking forward to reading it, too. That would be a really cool twist to find out on my own. And, But but that's that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is that you know, part six is you know, causing me to you know, read stuff I'd never considered before. Like, I watched The Killers in the Diner, and then I went and read the killers and I found myself enjoying the episode a whole lot more. Uh-huh. You know, it, it went from being really entertaining to hilarious. You know, once you realize what's going on again, like some of it just seems really arbitrary, like with this week's episode. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Alan Moore's, uh, the league of extraordinary gentlemen. Ah, you know, somebody reading that who is not incredibly real, well-read in classic literature, it's not going to understand it. 
which yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, I, I like the movie better. The movie's not, <laughs> the movie's not good, but I, I like it more. <laughs> but but yeah, I. So again, I'm I'm not really too bothered by uh, the literary themes in part six. Mm-hmm. You know, personally speaking, because for one thing, it's been there since the very beginning, and it's getting me, to, you know, to expand them, you know, my horizons a bit. And I think that's actually wonderful. Again, like, I, if if it can encourage a viewer to go out and watch that opera, or go out and read that book, or go out and look into that TV show, or watch that musical, awesome. Because, you know, a, they're deriving a lot of these things from popular culture. So it's like, if you hadn't seen it, if you hadn't looked into it or seen it already, go for it. But at the same time, there is that different viewer who is just like, not going to be into it. And they'll feel, again, you know, excluded. But yeah, that's a- it, it, it kind of falls into that thing. About part six has been like a, um, what's the way to word this? Um, uh, the way I've always seen Close Lupin, and actually, th- th- there's, th- well, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a very <laughs> good article. And I'll probably link it in this episode since I'm going to mention it. That's about him. Uh, there's a Lupin for everybody. And I think part six is kind of, has been the perfect embodiment of that. Like it's very polarizing. Some people are a hundred percent on board with it. Some people are kind of mixed on it. Some people hate it. It's, it, it's been interesting to see, I want to say the fallout, but just to see like the wide range of reactions. This has caused for some people to be, you know, not on board with the literary references for some people. And like, like for me, it's been interesting because it points me, like Chris said, in the direction of books I would have never considered before. But then there's also the people who they're, they're not familiar with it. And it's perfectly fine for them to just be like, this is too much homework for me. I just want to watch, you know, I, I just want my silly Lupin gang. And to be 100% honest, I do kind of miss that, which is why I'm looking forward to next week's episode so much. And I'm looking forward to more of the back half of this series, which seems to be a little more bonkers from what I've heard so far. I've. I guess with this series, I've just not been on board with whatever the tone is supposed to be because it's not quite as dark as part five got, but it's nowhere near kind of like, you know, the sunny, lighthearted romp that part four was. It just feels like it doesn't quite know what it's doing yet. It feels confused. Yes. And it's just, I don't know. I, 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 I hope it all, you know, forms into some very interesting hole when it's done. But I've also got a slight suspicion that it might be like a first half that's very muddled and confused. It may be kind of a zany second half, which might be really good. And it, if that's the case, I'll be happy, but I'll also be, I don't know. I don't want to, what's the way to put this? I, I, I don't want to be down on it so much. But I would really appreciate if the next Lupin series is more of an episodic, just overall venture because mm-hmm. they've nailed the uh, the overarching plot with part four pretty well. They stumbled in part five. And I don't know what they're trying to do here. And like 100 percent with you, 100 percent. While I very much enjoyed this week's episode, because it was, again, it was fun, Jeekin shenanigans. And speaking of pop culture references, I was very happy to see uh, Brad Rourke driving 
the uh, the Aston Martin V8 Vantage from The Living Daylights, which is one of my favorite Bond films of all time. So that was a real nice reference. And it's also cool because that was during a car chase where Magnum Dance was playing, which Mag- I love oh, Tornado. Yeah. Tornado is a beautiful Jigen theme, but Magnum Dance is, is man, it's funky and I dig it. And it was really great to hear it. Magnum, well that day. <laughs> Magnum Dance is soft Jigen. Tornado is, is like action-y Jigen, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Mild and spicy. Yeah, mild and spicy. It's like when you go to it's like when you go to Popeyes and they ask you mild or spicy. <laughs> Give me that tornado. <laughs> it was also really interesting because, like, out of all the episodes so far, I think we've already mentioned it. The pacing of this one and just the way the story progressed has been the best so far, and it, it kind of makes sense because um, uh, I've only seen one other person bring this up, and that was Brian Smith from the Dynamite in the Brain podcast. But the uh, uh, again, Akio Higuchi, who wrote this episode, wrote two entries in the uh, the Lupin the Third Futabasha Gamebook series, which is like the Choose Your Own Adventure Lupin series. He wrote. Um, they have those. Uh yes, they're. I believe they're all in Japanese, if I'm not mistaken. He wrote. Um. Uh, Don't doesn't care. I still want one. <laughs> Yeah, that I awesome. love choose your own adventure books. <laughs> he wrote one called a gold dead chase. And uh, there's also English text on that cover that says the odd dick. So make of that what you will. There's also one called uh, a Feratu's black rose or Lamarck noir. And he also wrote two uh, light novel in the light novels in the Futabasha action novel series, which is uh Lupin the Third Battlefield is a freeway, and Lupin the Third Eldoria Escape Plan. So I think, out of all the episodes so far, I, I think I could kind of tell that this one was written by someone who's kind of dabbled in Lupin before, because like it's one of those episodes you know what you're here for. They understand the characters pitch perfectly, especially Jigen. So uh, I don't know. I wish Part Six was more like this. And I don't want to get all nostalgic, yeah. like remember the good old days, but I wish I mentioned this in last week's episode and I could be completely off base, but I think part five, even though he animated parts of it and part six have suffered from not having people like uh, Kazuhide Tomonaga on board or any of the old guard. And that's not to say like I'm not on board with, you know, new people coming into the fold, but it just feels like. I don't want to say it's feel, it feels like it's missing a guiding hand, but it does feel a little, it doesn't, it doesn't know what it wants to be. And I don't know how to feel about it, which is why I'm rambling because I'm confused. I want to watch Lupin and be like, I feel happy and content. Or, or I want to be, I want to watch Lupin and be challenged. Like with a woman called Fujiko Mine, which like is also one of my favorite entries in this franchise bar none, but I don't want to watch Lupin and be like, yeah, man, this episode's good. It reminds me of when when Lupin was good. Remember when Lupin was like, you know, really good and not, <laughs> you know, you know, five years yeah. ago. <laughs> well, well, it in in terms of tone, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, well, my one of my favorite Disney films is Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I can acknowledge Ooh. that Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I love how Red Jacket Chris is laughing. As much as I love that film. And I love the Victor Hugo novel. I can acknowledge that that film suffers from a tone problem. Very much so. 
Um, but I kind of also raise the ante and say, as a kid, I enjoyed Hercules, but as an adult, I see why Hercules has a is not well regarded because that tonal shift goes from like zero to a hundred so fast that it has a zero to hero hero hero. in no time. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But what I'm what I'm trying to say here is that part six along with part five Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh i want to join in but they're kind of like they're kind of like the the, so far part six is kind of becoming the hercules of uh natalie oops it turned me off there you go (laughs) where i started real quick i I thought i actually i'm talking my mic again (laughs) <laughs> oh no, that was me. I I, pu- I pushed spacebar. <laughs> oh. Anyways, real quick, but um, I save. I have a soft spot for part five because of, of what distraction it was when I was sick. But I probably I recognize that it has a tone problem as well. Some episodes were great, some episodes weren't. But I feel like I wouldn't have the soft spot for it had I watched it like I'm watching part six, where I watched it mm-hmm. weekly, and I'm just like. Okay, I, I get that there's like a set storyline, and now we're going to one-offs. And then there's another set storyline, but why is the tone so drastically different? So yeah, and we'll and see after the binge watching of part six. But so far, it's like tone problems, very drastic tone problems. Nope, hundred percent with you on that one. <laughs> one thing I wanted to touch on, and I'm glad, I'm glad none of us mentioned it because I've still seen it on Twitter. I don't want to say because I don't want to sound too cranky. I don't want to be like I'm getting tired of it, but it's getting kind of old seeing people on Twitter go oh, CG cars again. Did you see the CG cars? The animation in this episode wasn't the best I've ever seen. And we've touched on it here multiple times, but this series was produced, I would assume uh, for a large part last year. And last year was, you know, last year the fact that the series was produced yeah the fact that this was produced under covid and it's not studio telecom it's studio tms i I, i'm the animation's not the greatest but you know it's not the worst thing i've ever seen like like they're cg cars but there has been some nice usage of 2d cars in there it's just i don't know it's it's not that bad obviously it's not part four level but I, I think by this point, I, I, I've come to accept the CGI cars because they had to do what they had to do. This isn't 2D cars aren't the norm anymore. And it makes me sad. I, I challenge you as as those who complain. Try drawing a car. Go. Go try drawing <laughs> a car right now. Yeah. And then and then you can complain. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Take it. Take it from the comic artist here. It's not easy. I understand. No. <laughs> I understand why they want to, why they go with the, with the 3D route. Cars are difficult. And at, at, at least it's stylized. Like, I think it's charming. I didn't even, like, you bring that up, Drew. I didn't even know there was a discourse over CGI cars. It seemed, of the problems with Part 6, that seems so trivial. Oh, my goodness. You are so weird. lucky. Yeah, you are so lucky that you're not seeing that because... I'm not going to mention any names because I don't remember names, but I did see someone like, Bill, I'm going to stop someone on Twitter. Hey, I'm going to stop watching um, part six because of the CGI cars. And it just doesn't look good. And I'm done. And it's like, grow the fuck up people. Like, you know, I'll mention this again. Animators in Japan are treated like shit. 
And it's so hard to not only draw a car, it's probably so hard to animate one. And if we have to go the CGI route, it's not Goodbye Partner. It's certainly not PyCal. And it certainly is not Princess of the Fucking Breeze. <laughs> so, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> again, like, the, the amount of disrespect y'all have and just how much you want to bitch about it, like, uh, and I mean, it, I mean, let's be real. All all the animators who can animate cars very well in two D are probably working on that uh, Koike Zenigata movie because that's Studio Telecom. That's probably what their resources were devoted to. Just 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 speculation. And I mean, you know, there were some there were some moments of nice animation in this episode. The part that sticks out in my mind is in the museum when Lupin's dodging that blade that's being lunged at him. You know that that was pretty nice. Oh yeah. But then you also had. Then you also had that, you know, weird handgun sliding thing going on in the opening shootout. That shouldn't you know, bother me as much as it does. But here no, we are. It, 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 I noticed it, it looked a lot because it, the, the shot, it was that slow motion shot of Brad like doing that. It looked a lot better when it was going like, you know, in regular speed. But when it was slowed down, you were yeah. like, those are, those, those are frames moving. But it wasn't. It was again. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. It wasn't. Those are still um, images. <laughs> it wasn't Napoleon's dictionary, and they didn't have the excuse of COVID oh, back God. then. <laughs> yeah, we can't blame no, the they plague had the on everything. Of TMS didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, That's why you hired Dazaki, the man known for you know keeping the budget down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, like people, if I'm okay with you having discourse over, you know, the insensitivity of Jigen wearing an Imperial Army uniform, I understand the discourse of how badly Xenogata's character was treated last episode. I even understand the discourse behind why you guys didn't like an episode based on a Hemingway short story, but for God's sake, I can I I just I just can't with you and your hatred over over an animation style like like take these cold chicken nuggies and eat it because be thankful you're getting food tonight <laughs> children <laughs> I am turning into my mother <laughs> Yes Mrs. Natalie <laughs> <laughs> And as we mentioned in our first two ep- when we, when we when we reviewed the uh, the first two episodes of the Sherlock arc that CGI car animation was really funny Specifically that shot mm-hmm. when they're being chased by the tank and they come out and do the complete little barrel roll and all the, all their heads pop up out of the sunroof. They drive away. <laughs> Zinnigata's car flying off the bridge, making a perfect little arc straight into the water, like a little like a little swan dive. <laughs> C- CGI cars can work in Lupin, people. It's it's okay. It's it still feels like Lupin I mean, to me. It worked in this mm. episode, I'm not gonna lie. Like, um the again, the detail of the cars what I did, I did enjoy, especially you're right. There was a shout out to, to James Bond in one of those cars. And even like when Jigen has to bypass the, um, the Scottish police being like, Hey, I don't think, I don't think that's standard issue for y'all. And then, you know, this zooms on through, or even when he tells Kenny, Kenny as Lily to brace themselves before Rourke's car hits them. I, I, I didn't see anything bad about it. Like, it, it looked good. 
I've still followed the story and it looks like an actual car accident. I would be more surprised if it didn't look like a car accident. So. Indeed. And so I guess, I guess that about wraps up how we feel about this week's episode. But um, uh, before we completely bring the show to a close, um, uh, as you can clearly see on the call, I am currently um, uh, kind of pressed for time. So I am uh, obviously driving while I record this interview. And um, uh, I got a, got a message from our co-host Guillaume who said he was going to uh, deliver he's going to deliver his segment in a uh, a relevant fashion that Jigen would be proud of and um well, wait 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 I see a there's a red car speeding up behind me it's a uh, it's just just my pet wait a minute is that Guillaume I think Guillaume's driving the car he's, he's just cut me off and uh oh my god he's just hit his brakes Greetings, Lupantic folks. I hope you are all cozy and warm under heavy blankets and holding your favorite mug, because today we are in for a little treat. As you noticed, part six is back on guest-written standalone episodes. Akio Higuchi wrote this episode, and it is a bit different for the others, as it is still connected to the Holmes arc in some way. Three years in the past, Lupin and Jigen save Lily Watson from a kidnapping attempt. They enroll Kenny Howell, a classmate who's got a thing for Lily, which gives us a nice bonding moment between the preteen and Jigen. Speaking of Jigen, he is the lead in the good portion of this episode, which means we explore recurring themes such as an old enemy, here the ex-CIA agent Rourke, who is deliciously camp, and Jigen's attachment to not only his gun, but also his way of life, which he refuses or is unable to explain, but will uphold nonetheless. Jigen is always an interesting lead, because of all the recurring characters, he seems to be the one with the most insight. We saw it in Kobayashi's send-off episode zero, and we see it here as well, with Akio Otsuka handling this very specific blend of weariness and endurance. Jigen feels like the most realistic of the gang, the more connected with reality. And while the lesson he taught young Kenny might be too virilist to some, I think the morality, if there is any need for one, is that one man must do by his principles. And in a world bereft of principles, this might be a good lesson to learn again, even coming from a cartoon gunman. Some fans may find Jigen's relationship with his gun to be fetishistic, but one, don't kick shame, and two, it's almost always been like this. But here, Jigen is getting ready to say goodbye to his damaged magnum, and he gives it a badass send-off, propulsing part of the cannon into Rolf's chest. Some said this was unbelievable. I say this is Lupin III. In the span of 50 years, we had countless moments of broken physics, outlandish stunts, and even fantastical elements like aliens, godlike figures, ghosts, and super-intelligent robots. I do not understand how that is enough to break your suspension of disbelief. Jigen ultimately gets his magnum back, but with new parts. Change in continuity, as you might say. Just like Otsuka replaced Kobayashi while staying true to the character's core. Otsuka needed this episode to sell his stake on Jigen, 
and I think in that regard, it succeeded. While Lupin is more on the back seat in this episode, he does have one badass moment stopping Lily's kidnapping. That's where he notices the kid's bravery and decides to do the switching. The reveal made sense to me character-wise. Lupin and Jigen take so many lengths at protecting Lily that it would have been absurd to expose her to so much danger. Lupin calls himself Mr. Daddy Long Legs, and we learn in the next scene that this might be a literary reference to the eponymous novel by American author Jean Webster, which tells the tale of an orphan girl writing to a mysterious benefactor that she nicknamed Daddy Long Legs. It's easy to make a parallel with Lupin's virtuous but anonymous actions towards Lily. People have been wondering if the hero or villain tagline would make sense at some point, and I think we are getting something of an answer here. For obvious reasons, Lupin could not reveal himself to Lily, and so his positive output remained unknown to her. What changed in that lapse of time is that Lupin is now convinced that Lily cannot go on without facing the truth, as harmful it might be. My guess is that Lily will have to make a choice near the end of the series when it comes to Lupin. She will be the one to decide who is a hero or a villain. It's not just Lily that must face consequences, but Lupin as well, as his return to London in the first episode implies. Speaking of villain, the one muddy plot point in this episode is the kidnapping itself. When Holmes gets wind of the first attempt, he calls Lestrade to go and protect Lily, as himself is housebound by wound. Little tangent here, but I found Holmes with a crutch to be looking a lot like Dr. House, which makes sense since House is an unofficial Holmes adaptation. Anyway, Lestrade says he can't go himself, but will send two of his trusted men. The two cops eventually get attacked by the two goons who kidnap Decoy Lily to meet up with Rourke. Now, here's the thing. Lestrade is the first to mention the raven on the phone with Holmes. And when he says he will send two of his men, the phrase is ambiguous enough so that we do not know if he refers to the cops or the goons. It's also a little convenient that Lestrade sends only two policemen. Lestrade's expression remains bland during his phone call, which might just be an economic choice in animation, but it also hints at a man not showing his thoughts. This little exchange, at least to me, is enough to bring some more fuel to my hypothesis that Lestrade is the Raven's executioner. Only time will tell if I am right, but for now, this is the option that makes the most sense to me. Overall, this was a fun episode, with elements of crime, introspection, and classic themes, even down to the music. The animation was a bit rough on the edges in some parts, but remember that this was produced in the midst of Covid. And Japan is nowhere near from an end to the pandemic at the time of this review. Plus the scene with Lupin and the kidnapper was actually quite kinetic, so the animation did have its moments. Next week, we have another standalone episode taking place in Brazil. It sounds like a classic caper akin to the shark treasure subgenre, but as this series showed, we might expect a twist of some kind, especially if it has connections with literature. The return of standalone episodes is proof that we should not have preconceived ideas on how the series is going to play out. 
We know the second part of the series will focus on the roast of women and the secret they share about Lupin, but there is no clear sign that this will mean Holmes will not be back somehow, or that the Raven arc will be finished by episode 12. We must leave our expectations at the door and sit in this mystery train until it has reached its final destination. Only then will we be able to appreciate the series structure for what it is. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbey, B-A-B-E-Y, on DeventArt and ArtStation as Shinreddeer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me for an artwork or send me a tip on my coffee, also under the name Shinreddeer. Until then, stay safe, Lupantic folks, and remember, if you have only one bullet left, Make it count. Ah, oh, okay. So, uh, so, uh, so that's what he meant by that. So, uh, well, now, uh, now my car is totaled and this episode has come to a conclusion. So to our special guest, uh, Red Jacket Chris, uh, where can we find you on the, uh, the social medias and the interwebs and whatnot? Oh, uh, well, obviously you can follow me on Twitter, which is at aficionado, Chris, because the Max character count for your username, I couldn't have S in there. <laughs> so it was either aficionado's Chris or aficionado Chris. I went with the latter. You can follow me there. I post a lot on there, especially updates about the book, which uh, you can learn all about there. And if you like video reviews of physical media specifically, just look me up on YouTube. Same name, aficionado's Chris. Or just go to my website, officialhousechris.com. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find because I have the one pen name. So pretty pretty easy to find me. And so, uh, Natalie, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cap Lee Helsing. It wasn't even like a character maximum or anything for, for me not putting Captain. It's just apparently I had a Twitter account from 2009 <laughs> that had that whole name. And I can't access it anymore. So that's why you get me on at Capley Helsing. But you can find me with the full Captain spelled out on Instagram at Captain Lee Helsing, where, you know, I do a lot of stories about music, the podcast, uh, operas. And a lot of uh, personal photos. And with me traveling in a couple months, yes, even still during Om Omicron, you might catch some photos of my travels. So hashtag team follow back. <laughs> um, OG Chris, where hey, can we find me. you? Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dr. Furball. Not a character limit thing. That's just the name of the main character of my webcomic. <laughs> which can be found at weirdandacan.com. Um, I can also be found on Instagram, Newgrounds, and probably a few other places at Amazing Chris Godby. And I guess that means you can find me on uh, Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's a D R E W H U N T E R 1 5. You'll find me tweeting about uh, various movies. Blu-rays I've got in the mail and recently tweeting a lot about part four because uh, it's not it's not at all because I miss it dearly in these times of part six. <laughs> um, and you can find our podcast on Twitter at Lupin Pod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. 
You can find us on Instagram at the same at uh, L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. And you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you'd like to scroll on down and give us a rating and a view, rating and review, we would greatly appreciate it. And again, thanks to all our wonderful listeners, including aficionados Chris, who, you know, I, I personally want to say thank you for also joining us tonight. It, it's been fun. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, it has been. Oh, my pleasure. This has been delightful. <laughs> it, it's been very delightful. We should have him back sometime. <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but legit, thank you to all our wonderful listeners. Thank both of you. Thank, of course, Aficionados Chris for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week, Lepontic folks. <sighs> <laughs> so long. Good night. Farewell. Avida Santa do. To you. Next time on Sideburns and Cigarettes. Deep beneath the ocean lies a fortune in gold. Oh, shiver me timbers and pass me the tortellini. Over there on the shore, I believe I see Fujiko in a black bikini. I see a big old booty on the horizon. <laughs>